Welcome to New Life Bible Church, and thank you for joining us. Every week, listen to practical teaching of God's Word you can apply to your life as you live out your faith every day. Our vision at New Life is that you may know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Here's this week's message from New Life Bible Church. This week, we're going to talk about sanctifying the house. See, the house, we call it the church, or the house, became a place of caution or contamination. Because it's a place where people gather. Became a place of essential. It became an essential act. They, you know, at the same time that gathering in our, in our church building became an essential act, so did the, the liquor stores. It was grouped in with the liquor store. So at the same time that uh, uh, essential, it was essential for us to gather as a church, it was also essential that the liquor stores would be open. So I don't know how liquor could be an essential. But, you know, I don't know. That's just me. But the, the house of God became an essential. And I would like, if anything, we get today that this would never be an essential, but, a, you know, a necessity. It should be, it should not be in something, oh, it's, if it's just essential, then you can, you can go if you need to. But if it's a necessity, then you go, because you have to. It's, it's where I plug in, man. It's where I get my energy again. It's where my faith is lifted up again. It's where, right, it's where this happens. So I have to be part of the body of Christ to be able to do that. Not just an essential, but a necessity. I'm going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, a very familiar scripture that my wife mentioned it during prayer today, if my people who are called by my name. But that starts in verse 14. I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to go on through 16, and we're going to see it in the context of what God was saying uh, about Solomon. Verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house. Everybody say house. Finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. See, it's not... Imagine if your house was an essential. Then you wouldn't have to be there. <laughs> right? But it's a necessity. It's a roof over your head. It keeps your food in the refrigerator. You have a kitchen. You have restrooms. You have running water. Isn't it a necessity to go home eventually? <clears throat> So he not only built the house of the Lord, he built his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have, I have heard your prayers and have chosen this place, this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or, or send pet, pestilence among my people, and here it is. If my people, say that's me, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Wow. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. What's he talking about? The house of God, the church. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes my, and my heart will be there perpetually. Just when you thought that God was only interested 
right, in what you do at home or in your prayer, and he is. But he says, in my house, in Bethel, it's called the house of God, Bethel, in my house, this is where I gather, this is where my people gather, this is where I incline my ear, this is where sacrifice happens, this is a necessity. This is where you're going to humble yourself. This is where you're going to pray. And from this place, I will heal your, heal your land. Amen. See, God cannot heal our land unless the churches in our land are strong. And I'm not talking about the Pentecostals and the Christians. No, the church. See, we're not the church. We're part of the church. The body of Christ is <clears throat> everything from every denomination that believes that Jesus Christ is part of the Trinity, was born of a virgin, died on a cross, resurrected three days later, and because of that, I'm a Christian. Because of that, he came to live inside of me. That old man is gone. The new man has begun. And now I live my life, a life of prayer. I read his word, right? This is what it is. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I have to be, you know, I was speaking to some visitors today, and they say, oh, we, we, we come from the Lutheran church. I was like, that's awesome. I've worked with the Lutherans. I've worked with the Methodists in the homeless ministry. I've worked, I have a very dear friend that's part of, of the Lutheran ministry. And he, every time I see him, I bow my head and I say, pray for me, brother. Pray for me. Bless me. And he has this thing he says over me. And it's just, it's just a, such a blessing to be able to, to be around people like that. That's the body. We've got too many things in common to be deciding what we have, you know, to be arguing about what we have that are different. Too many things. See, when the church unites and becomes one, it becomes this place. It becomes his place. But that only happens when we gather. Now, I know the ones that are sitting here are kind of going, yeah, we're here. Hey, everybody that's watching, how you doing? Not picking on you, I promise. Just reading the word. See, Solomon was building a temple or a house for God and building a house for the king and himself. See, God sees what he had done in the natural as a sacrifice to him and then appears to Solomon and makes a promise. See, the natural aspect of gathering, the natural aspect of, of gathering together in, in a building, we always say, well, we're, we are the church no matter where. We're the church out there and what we do out there is really the church. And, and, and that's fine and that's all true. But if you use that as an excuse not to come here, we're missing it according to the scripture. There's another one. I didn't, I didn't use it here. But it says, do not forsake the assembling of my people. Do not forsake that. We have forsaken that. Why? Because this has become an essential rather than a necessity. We've abandoned the, the conviction of gathering, the, the, of bringing the people. We've abandoned it completely because the world has called it a, an essential and we've, and we've bowed to that. We've bowed to those idols and we've said, okay, if that's what you say, then, you know, then we won't. And when they shut us down, we shut down and we continued to, to come here and we had worship live and we continued to stream. And we did what our community and what our authorities asked us to do. Kicking and screaming, but we did it. Right? We did it. Why? Because we're part of a community. I, I, I sought out counsel from other pastors, faith pastors, faith-based pastors like us. Even Andrew Womack came out on a Tuesday night during his, his uh, uh, teaching and prayer on Tuesday nights that he does online and, and he streams. <clears throat> he came out and he said, yeah, we're going to shut down for now because we're part of a community. But why are we doing that? Not because we're afraid. Not because of this sickness is going to... No, see, the power of God lives inside of me, right? Come on. 
right? The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. Right? And we believe that by the stripes of Jesus, we are what? Already healed. Now, listen, I'm not denying that some family members among us or some of us even among us have caught this thing. Some have died from it. And it's very unfortunate. And, and we pray for those people. And, and we're careful. And I'll use that word. I'll use the word careful. But we can't allow this thing to rob us of our faith. So it's, it's a fine line that we have to walk here because we're part of a community. But at the same time, we cannot forsake the assembling of God's people. And we cannot diminish what the house of God is really for. We need to re-sanctify the house. Come on. He makes a promise to Solomon and says, God commits to protect and heal the land of his people if. He required some. God promises to prosper us if we do what? If we give. It requires something of us. Faith without works is dead, right? So God commits to protect and heal the land of his people if they humble themselves. They pray as we did this morning. And we need to continue to pray. And repent. See, God's eyes will open and ears attentive to the prayers in this place. He's not limited to hearing your prayers in this place. Understand that. He hears your prayers at home and he hears your prayers in your car. And when you're praying for the guy in front of you that's doing 20 and a 50, you know, he, he hears those prayers. He absolutely hears those prayers. But there's something about the prayer of his people gathered together in his house. God has chosen and sanctified this house. So what is required of us? That we would humble ourselves. Now, there's another way you can do this. You can ask God to humble you, but that's going to hurt. That's an ouch. I would, I would recommend to humble yourself. The word means to be subdued, to bend the knee. By the way, when my wife said, everybody on your knees this morning, I didn't get on my knees because I just had... Five weeks ago, I had knee replacement surgery, so this leg does not bend like this one. It will soon, and I'm getting there. I'm getting closer and closer. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get, I, I, I thought about it for a minute. I said, I'm going to do this, and I'm thinking, I end up laying down on the ground here, crying and screaming, right? So God's healing that knee, and it's getting better every day. And if you haven't noticed, I'm coming up here. I'm not, you know, I'm still a little tentative about it, but I'm getting, we walked on the beach yesterday, so I'm getting better. Thank you all for your prayers and everything. But to bend a knee, to humble, it's to bend a knee, to bring down, or to bring low. See, it says humble yourselves. This means that it is up to us. It is up to you. And it will require something of you. Decide that you will live your life his way and not your way. That's being humble. It really is for your own good. In, in James chapter 4, verse 6 says, But he gives us more grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh, Lord, we need your grace. Then humble yourself. See, you want grace? You're required to be humble. James 4.10, in the same chapter, just a few verses later, says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will be the one that lifts you up. See, when he lifts you up, he gets the credit. Pride has no place in that. But pride, which is, you could say, is almost the opposite of being humble, uses words like my or I. My way, my will, my plan, my concept of God, my concept of his word. 
My life, my way, right? Me, 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 me. It's all about my and me and how I decide. And, you know, I've had people say, well, I, you know, my concept of the word is different than yours. I interpret certain things a certain way. And there's certain things that, you know, are not for us today. And listen, <laughs> it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Everything will pass away. The, the grass of the field will, will wither and dry up and the wind will blow it away. But the word of God will stand forever. That means that when it started, it was good, and, when it, and it's still going to be good all the way through the end. It doesn't change because our times change, our culture change. We learn new things. Our science has come up with new things. Come on. I wish they make up their mind. Science says that eggs are bad for you. Science says that eggs are good for you. Don't stop eating eggs. You should eat eggs. You shouldn't eat eggs. Your cholesterol goes up. They can't make up their mind whether eggs are good for you or bad for you. God made the chicken. The chicken lays an egg. I'm eating the egg. Right? Come on. In moderation, obviously, but... <laughs> In both parts, the yellow and the white part. <laughs> Pride uses words like my. My way, my will, the way I interpret the word. See, I had somebody come up to me once and say, I interpret the word differently than you do. And I said, oh, I know you do. They were living a certain lifestyle, and I wasn't condemning them. And I said, I know you do, because you interpret the word to fit your lifestyle. I interpret the word to change me. It's completely different. See, I want to know what God is telling me to change in my life so that I can become more like him. I don't want to be myself and say, God, I need to, I need to adjust this to fit who I am. Oh, man, we're in trouble. Humble uses words like his. His way, his will, his plan. His concept of who he is and his concept of his word. Lord, what are you saying here? We think we know so much. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come on, don't we need rest? I need some rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke means that Jesus has the reins of your life. He will make sure to lead you to rest because he is gentle and humble in heart. The answer to that is let him. Uh, Morris Cerullo, he just passed away not recently. I love some of his quotes and his stories. I've used some of his stories. He said, very simple. God loves you. Let him. So simple, but so powerful. God loves you. Let him. Because of his love, I chose to put on the yoke. And some people have said, well, we put on the yoke and Jesus puts on the yoke with you. I, I get what that means. I, I understand that. But that means that I have some control there, doesn't it? Can I pull Jesus this way? See, but if I'm wearing the yoke and he's got the reins, it's completely different. Yeah. Right? If I choose to put on his yoke, and he says this, his burden is light, his yoke is easy. I'd rather, give me easy. The outcome is easy. The sacrifice is hard. The sacrifice is putting on the yoke of saying, okay, I'm, it's all about your will. It's all about your way. It's all about what you want for me. Right? I'm humbling myself to you. I don't understand it. That's next week's message. I know the who it's called. 
Anybody think about that when I said it? It was an awesome concert back before Jesus. They were really good. (laughs) You guys shouldn't be laughing. Forgive us, Lord. It's your way. It's your will. It's your plan. (laughs) Oh, man. Where was I? Oh, humble your heart, right? It's not about trying to figure out, Lord, I just trust you. When it gets to that point, it's just, yes, Lord. You can't say no, Lord, because then he ceases to be Lord, right? It's always, yes, Lord. And it may be confusing in your mind, man, if we could understand God, we'd be God's. In our mind, things that God asks us to do in our humbling ourselves and in gathering and in believing God for things, in our own mind, it's just not there. You can't logically explain God because then it wouldn't need faith anymore, right? You wouldn't need faith anymore. I just choose to put on the yoke. Pull on the rein. You want me to go right? That's pretty close to the edge there, but if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. Because I trust you, Lord. Humble yourselves, or he will, and that will hurt. Repent. I love this word. Repent. Everybody say it. Repent. Does it hurt? Feels uncomfortable. You don't even want to say it like, like with enthusiasm. You say, repent. <laughs> repent. Right? You don't even want to say it. Because it, it it's not even a four-letter word. It's not, it's not even a bad word. And I didn't, even, I didn't say root canal. Right? That's painful. When you think about a root canal, i got to get one on Thursday. You, you dread on it forever, right? Oh, man, a root canal. It's going to, and then afterwards, and then your face. And, you know, you think the whole process of a root canal is horrible. Repentance is not root canal. Repentance is not, is not, you know, something horrible. We have those hell and brimstone preachers with the really long fingers. And they, they send everybody to hell and they preach hell and you're going to hell. And, you know, and, and they're always telling you to repent or you're going to go to hell. And, you know, man, thank God that he's not like that. Right? Repent does not, does not need to hurt. Repent is not a four-letter word. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, John the Baptist was fulfilling the prophecy that he would prepare the way of the Lord by preaching repentance. So what is he telling these people? Who is he speaking to? You know, when, when we say, you know, he's going through the wilderness and he's preaching repent, telling everybody repent. Who is he telling to repent? And why is he telling them to repent? We always bring it into our realm, into who we are and what we're living. But who is he speaking to? And why is he teaching this? And then he gets arrested. And look, Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't it awesome to preach a message and then have Jesus come right after you and preach exactly the same message? Right? I'm on, baby. I got it now, right? I did it. (laughs) I arrived. (laughs) Right? And what a message. Imagine, okay, today we're going to preach the word. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. God bless. Everybody can go home. That was the message. It wasn't anything more. There wasn't no, he wasn't elaborate about it. He just said, this is the message of today. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In this scripture, the word repent is mataneo. Listen to this. Very simply means to change one's mind or to change one's mind for better. 
to change one's mind, to redirect one's mind, to redirect one's lifestyle, to, to change in the direction that you're going. If you're going in this direction, right, this is repent. You turn around and you go in the other direction. This looks pretty good, right? Can I, I'm trying to walk without a limp here, right? I'm walking. <laughs> if I take the limp and turn it into a, you know, <laughs> a, strut, a strut, right? Amen. It's to change one's mind. So what was he saying to these people? Listen, he was speaking to the Jews and the Gentiles, and they had been living under the law. All these years, they were trying to follow this law that was taking them nowhere. It was leading them to the, to the cross. See, the law is a tutor or a teacher, and it's, it's teaching them that, hey, you're not going to be able to follow these rules and these laws. And because you can't, you need a redeemer. Right. And since you need a redeemer, he's on its way. And for hundreds of years, they lived under this law. So when John the Baptist shows up and he begins to preach this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what is he telling them? You can no longer live under this law. You have to change your mind. Change the way you think. See, we lived under a sinful life before Jesus. We did whatever. We went to who concerts, right? We did whatever. We just, we just lived, and we sinned, and, and we looked at people the wrong way, and we treated people wrong, and we stepped on others, and we took money when we could, and, and we just lived. And we, I didn't feel, I did a lot of horrible stuff. I never felt bad. I never felt like, oh, man, you know, I shouldn't have done that. It was, I'm like, I got away with that one. <laughs> and then Jesus comes into my life, and all of a sudden, I go to do something bad. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lord. Conviction and it was in my life all of a sudden. Why? Because I had to repent. I had to change my sinful way of living and turn it, turn it into a life of constant repentance, which means constantly changing my mind. You ever change your mind? Did it hurt? If it did, <laughs> right? Yeah, the flesh might kick back a little bit, but you know, you change your mind. You go to a place, you look at your menu, you know, you go to a restaurant, you look at the menu, you say, I think I'm going to have this. And by the time the, the waiter comes, oh, no, I changed my mind, I'm going to have that. That didn't hurt. Unless what you chose was no good. But. See, biblical repentance involves turning from sin and turning to God. It's a condition of the heart. And the reason that, that it's interpreted this way now, from change of mind to turning from sin, is because we are no longer living under the law. But this world affects us. The way that we live our lives, according, we're not humble and we're not, we're, we're not saved and we live our lives according to what's good for me. Gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. Right? Whatever's good for me. What have you done for me lately? And we have to change that perspective from, from living that life of sin to how am I going to live now? How does God want me to live? We need to repent. That's what, it, that's what it means. And that's why biblical repentance involves turning from sin and turning to God. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing, not only does it not hurt, it refreshes you, that refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You want refreshing from the Lord? Come on, we need to be refreshed a little bit, right? What, what do you do? You repent. Uh, I just want the refreshing. Can I just have faith for refreshing? No, it says Repent. Have faith to repent, then you'll get your refreshing. See, one of the greatest examples of this is when Zacchaeus came face to face with Jesus. 
And Jesus entered, in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. A wee little man. <clears throat> Those of you who've been in church long enough know what that means. Who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because the crowd, and he was short of stature. A wee little man was he. So he, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. To see him. Just to see him. Come on. To see him. I want to say something, but the, cam the camera's on. <laughs> to see him. We spent our Christianities just wanting to see Jesus. We want to climb the tree. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little work. I'll climb the tree. But if I do something, I don't want to come face to face with him because then that's going to require something of me. So I just want to see him. See, I, I, come, I come because I have a need. And right now I just need prayer. And my, my son is running around out there doing drugs and running around, you know, with the devil and, and highway to hell. Now I'm, now I'm, you know, quoting Led Zeppelin. We're going from the who to Zeppelin. But no, we're, he, he, all this stuff's going on around me so I need so I'm going to show up because I just I need to at least see Jesus it's going to be my hope and no 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 see I just want to show up because I know that somebody around me needs help if you come face to face with Jesus you're not going to think of anybody else not your son not your spouse not anybody else you're going to come face to face with Jesus and it's going to change you completely but what happens we we spend years we come up, we give our lives to God, we say the special prayer, and we spend years in church just seeing Jesus. Just seeing. I just, I just want to climb the, I'll climb the tree every Sunday. I'll, I'll climb the tree every Sunday. I will be there every Sunday. But I don't want anything. I just want to see. I just, I just want to watch from up here. And that's what Zacchaeus was doing. Listen, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You guys can read it. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. The way these guys got rich was they collected more taxes than was required. So he went around, knocked on doors, and collected the tax. So every house, let's say it's a dollar. Every house has to give a dollar. So he goes to every house, boom, boom, boom. Uh, you know, the, the tax today is a dollar. So give me a dollar. That tax has to go, right, back to the Jewish or to the Rome, where, whoever you were collecting taxes for at that, at that time. So you collected the tax. How he got rich was collecting more than the tax was required. So he would go there and put fear in them and say, hey, I need a dollar 25. And he would collect that. So how did this chief tax collector become rich? By collecting more tax. He must have been, and it's not in the scripture, but he must have been intimidating. Can you go with me there? Am I, am I not creating some kind of heresy or anything here? Right? So this guy in this town was the chief tax collector. Do you not think that he had the power and the authority to walk up to that crowd and say, I want to meet Jesus. Get out of my way. Yeah, right. People would have got out of his way. Right. right? He probably had, maybe he had an entourage with him. Maybe he talked like this. <laughs> would, you, would you like I should make him dead? I got family, you know? Yeah, forget about it. Get out of my way. I want to see this guy, Jesus. I don't do it as good as Nick, but, you know, I try. He could have just walked right in there. and What did he do? He climbed, and not only climbed the tree, he climbed the sycamore tree. The sycamore tree has leaves the size of your hand. So you can climb up there and hide. 
So not only did he just want to see Jesus, he was hiding from Jesus because he just wanted to see. And it says a couple of times that he wanted to see. But look at this. Jesus says, make haste. Come on down out of that tree. Jesus shows up and calls this man by his name. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Never met him before. Never knew his name. Didn't ask anybody who his name was. He just walked up to the tree and said, hey, Zacchaeus. See, he knows your name. You can't hide from Jesus. Think you could hide? <laughs> Not only did Zacchaeus climb there to see, just to see, Jesus saw him. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. So he came down out of the tree, and this is, this is where everything changes. This is a taker. This is a man that takes money from other people. That is his, his specialty. He was the chief tax, what? Collector. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. What? I think, I, I think if the people around him could hear that, they'd probably be laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear what he just said? And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. He's speaking in present tense. I bet you people were going, Oh, he owes me. Four times 25 is a dollar. He owes me. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save which was lost. What happened? He repented. He came face to face with Jesus and his whole mindset changed. He had a change of mind. He repented. He was no longer a taker. Now he turned himself into a giver. He was no longer a sinner, but a son of the almighty God. He says, but also son of Abraham. Back in those days, that's what they, they would say. He was son of Abraham. A quote, I, like to, uh, I read this and I really liked what he says about repentance. It's Pastor Shane Eidelman from Westside Christian Fellowship in California. He says, some suggest that repentance is self-improvement or a call to fulfill it, our natural potential. When we repent, we do improve and, and our God-given potential becomes more apparent. But repentance is not about self-improvement. It's about renouncing sin and turning from it. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. Really good. Brokenness, genuine sorrow over sin, and humility are marks of the sincere repentance. Lasting hope and joy are also byproducts of a right relationship with God, beginning with, with repentance. This is nothing to fear but to cherish. There's always a link between the genuine faith and sincere repentance. You want your faith to work better? Repent. The truth about repentance will set you free. Man, if we understood what kind of relationship it takes to, to live a life of repentance, just constant repentance. That's not constant sorrow. That's not constant condemnation. Not guilt. It's constantly saying, Lord, teach me. Change my mind. Help me to repent of my sins. Help me not to be this way. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, or do, you, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness, everybody say goodness, that the goodness, oh, you guys are terrible, that the goodness, say goodness, goodness, that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. What leads you to repentance? Condemnation, conviction, Feeling bad about what you just did? No. The goodness of God. 
Because he is so good to me, I want to repent. I, I taught this not too long ago. The difference between having to and wanting to. See, God, being a Christian is not about having to give up all these things and becoming a square. Don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? Who sings that one? Huh? Ant-Man. Adamant. Ant-Man. I'm like, Ant-Man? Adamant. <laughs> We've covered three. Three. Uh, we little man. <laughs> Zacchaeus was the Ant-Man. Because he was a wee little man. It's the goodness of God. And we think that we have to do this and we have to do that and we have to stop doing this. And we No, no. Listen, when you understand the goodness of God and God's love comes into your life and you understand it with every part of your being, you don't have to. You want to. I'm going I'm to say this and, and just leave it out there and then we'll keep going. If you don't want to get right with God, if you don't want to repent, if you don't want to live your life in, in a way that's holy because he is holy, if you don't want to do that, then you got to question your own salvation. Think about that. If Jesus that died on the cross and suffered everything that he did lives inside of me and has shown me his love and his goodness, why wouldn't I want to please him? Why wouldn't I want to do what his word says? See, it changes from I have to. It changes from the do's and don'ts. I always teach that, you know, in the beginning in Genesis, the first sin was the knowledge of, of good and evil. The knowledge of do's and don'ts. See, God's not concerned about your do's and don'ts. That's religion. Religion binds you. That's what religion means, to bind. Religion binds you. Relationship changes you. Depending on who you have a relationship with. Good or bad. But it's his goodness that leads me to repentance. <laughs> it's understanding who you are, re repenting to, will help you in easing the misconception of repentance. And we're going to read a couple of scriptures and we'll come to an end. John 3, 16 through 18. Everybody's familiar with 16. Say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody know that one? Right. It gets better. We always stop there. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. How does condemnation come? Through not believing. Through not having Jesus in your life. Preach it, Micah. By not having uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus in your life. Once you have Jesus in your life, there's no condemnation. Now, are you still going to do things that are wrong and you need to repent from? Absolutely. But there's no condemnation. Conviction is different. Conviction and remorse that leads to repentance is good. Conviction and remorse that leads to guilt is bad. It'll, it'll hold you down. It'll keep you from becoming who God wants you to become. Do not feel condemned. I'm not condemned by Christ. I'm saved by Christ. That's what it says. Yes. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn us, but to save us. Romans 8, 1 through 4. They were already condemned by the law. Right. Weren't they? I don't want to go there again. I don't have time. Romans 8, 1 through 4. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. (laughs) For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. I'm not condemned. The sin in my life is condemned. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Come on, we need to, we need to repent. We need to sanctify the house and repent for what we have turned the church into. Let me say it a different way so, so I'm not, I don't feel like I'm blaming anybody. For what we've allowed the world to turn, to turn the church into. Try not to sneeze. That's what we've done. We've allowed, I'm guilty. I've repented of that. We've allowed the world to come. You know, the minute they said it's essential, and I celebrated that. I was like, awesome, it's essential. We get to open the doors. It, it was, you know, when the, the enemy can't steal the word from you, he'll diminish it. If he can't take it from us, he'll, he'll make it less than what it really is. And that's what he's done with the church. He's made it less. It's a place of contamination. It's a place you know, that, that of this, that, and the other thing. Listen, this is not a rebellious message. This is not asking anybody to stand up against authority. This is not that at all. This is us getting back what was rightfully ours. The church... We need to sanctify the church again. We need to humble ourselves. In humbling ourselves, we put on our masks. And we, and we go along with our community. But why am I doing that? Not because I'm afraid, but because I want, I want to be respectful. I want to be respectful for you. We want everybody to have this faith. Oh, we should all have this. Well, not everybody's there. And that's okay. We're all in process. We're all in process. I want to respect where you're at. Just respect where I'm at. We need to be respectful towards each other. All this has done is, and, and I, I preached this, I believe it was last week, about the unity of the church. What this has done is it's divided us. They wear masks. They don't know where masks. Why are they opening? They don't have this. They don't wear the other. They don't, you know, they don't do they clean. They're not separating the chairs enough. They, you know, I can't believe that you're not doing this and you're doing the other. And they, all it's, that's all it's done. And we have people come out on, on streaming, online. Listen, whatever they opened, they didn't open. Why should they have opened, you know, <laughs> I was talking to another, he's actually a local pastor here in our community. He's been pastoring in our community for over 40 years now. And um, he was hurt. He was hurt by his people. He said, people have left because I don't require them to wear a mask. And people have left because some wear masks and they feel like it's not a, a, a move of faith to wear one. And because we didn't have enough, uh, uh, you know, uh, sanitation stations. Like we have these things all over the, the building. You guys can go and, you know, if you want to shake hands and you can, you can sanitize your hands. Listen, before all this, I, I was, I like to be clean too. You know, I didn't like going to the supermarket and grabbing the, 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 the before all this, I didn't like grabbing the cart. Now even less, Right. You see, you, you, you watch, you want to get, you know, watch people bring the cart back. Says, oh, they look pretty clean. I'll take that one. <laughs> Hope it's you, right? 
Now they give you a thing you can spray. And I'm spraying the cart, man. It's not because I have lack of faith. It's because I don't know who touched that thing. Right? <laughs> exactly. How many, how many kids rub the, you know, they, they put their, they do. You ever see them and you want to tell the parent, don't let that kid suck on that handle. You know how many people touch that thing? <laughs> but you can't tell them anything. We were in Target the other day. I was walking through Target and this, they, they had this thing. They covered the whole thing. The kid was in it. And he was probably, he was probably three years old. He was a little big to fit in this thing, but she had covered it all and cleaned it all up. And she put the kid in there, and the kid was just not happy about being at Target. So through the entire store, you can hear the kid going, I want to go to Walmart! <laughs> That's all he kept saying. And just screaming, and she's like ignoring him like it wasn't, like nothing was going on. Just, you know, pushing this kid. So finally, we, get, we ended up more or less in the same aisle. I said, take the kid to Walmart. <laughs> That's what I would do. At least, just, at least drive by Walmart and let him wave or something, man. This kid wants to go to Walmart. That's all he kept yelling. I don't, I don't know why. So it's not, it's not my lack of faith, right? It's not because I'm in fear or in doubt or anything like that. It's because I, I want to do what our community is doing, and I want to protect you. If you're concerned about me wearing a mask, and I wear a mask, and it takes away your concern, why wouldn't I do that? Listen. I like this service because I don't, I don't have to look at the clock. And the first service has to end. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in lo- of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection in mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Like what? Showing love and fellowship of the Spirit and being affectionate and being merciful. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Like, I'm better than you because I don't wear a mask, or you shouldn't wear a mask, or where's your faith? Or, you know, no. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, <laughs> but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Listen, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, listen, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and putting on a mask. Think about that for a minute. It's not what it says. Putting on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. Jesus was God, equal with God. And he put on skin and flesh and, and a mortal body that was going to defecate and stink. And, and he was going to need to bathe it and take care of it. And he was God. Yet he did not consider himself so high that he couldn't bring himself down to our level to save us. If Jesus was willing to do that, give me my mask. If Jesus was willing to do that, oh my, this is very small for me. For others to be able to feel comfortable. I'm okay with that. I don't like wearing it, I'll tell you the truth. 
And then if I see those that don't wear it, I don't have a problem with them either. That's on them. (laughs) I love them. That's it. If you truly love them, I'm telling you, we've, we've either turned our back on what's happening or we've just ignored it. have to fix that that thing's like 30 years old well we've ignored what's going on and we've allowed the enemy to divide us over dumb stuff to keep us from being in the house of god where he says this is where i sanctify this is where my people gather and they repent and they pray and i incline my ear and i heal their land from this place not that you can't do these things at home i'm not saying that but we gather once a week at the very least, we gather on Wednesdays, but Sunday, once a week. I'm not telling you to put aside, you know, your, your own concerns about all this. But if you are concerned, if you're living in fear and you're living in doubt, begin to pray. Begin to pray that God would help. Begin to read the word and see what God has to say about it. And if you get to a place where you can, great. If you don't, we love you. And we care about you. Why would we want you here? Because I want to see your face. That's the only thing good that the mass does. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> it was a joke, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> right? It covers your face. And that's okay. That's all right. Like I said, I go, I go out, I wear it going to let it divide me and then rebel i'm a christian i don't wear those things that doesn't look good is that a good testimony no it's not a good testimony what are you really giving up whenever you feel like you're giving up something think about it jesus put on flesh being equal with god and came down to earth to save us sure I'll put on a mask, not because I'm in fear or doubt, but because it unites me to my community. But I'm not going to allow the enemy to continue to steal and, and to take layer by layer away from the church. Like it's been, it's been happening week by week. The news just, you know, things are getting worse. More people are dying. This is happening. Now we have people taking down statues and, you know, and this and the other thing. And, Oh, my Lord. I'm not denying that there's a problem. There's a problem in our nation. Listen, this is not the only nation that has racism. And, and, and you know, there's nations that still have slavery. Right now, as we live, right now, still have slaves. It's wrong. But that doesn't cause hate in my heart causes compassion and love and what can I do what can I do I can pray I can love my fellow man no matter what color their skin is right try and understand I never will but I can try and understand stand to our feet this morning
Thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. We glorify your name, Lord. We just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Help us to repent, to make that adjustment in our mind, not out of condemnation, Lord, but out of knowing that something's got to change, Lord. This morning, we take back. Come on, we take back the house of God. We take back the, the, the place in which you've sanctified. I talk about sanitation. How about sanctity? Come on. You sanctified this place, Lord. You sanctified this place. Cleanse it with the blood. In the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We commit to continue to rebuild your house. To bring it back to the glory which you intended it to be, Father. Powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all said, amen, amen, amen. Have a great day. We love you guys. Thanks for listening to the New Life Bible Church podcast. If you're ever in the Central Florida area, consider this a standing invitation for you to join us. We would love to meet you. Services are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If this message blessed you, imagine what it would be like in person. Keep up with everything going on at New Life on our website, orangecitychurch.com. New Life Bible Church, you will never be the same.